0: Today we wrap up our series on relationship vampires. <clears throat> and bear with me because I've got sinus drainage. So we'll kind of cough our way through this thing. It's I'm not sick. It's a typical fall drainage things for me. But I want to deal with something that we all will experience at one point or another. All of us will face critical People, how many would say that you have someone in your life that has the spiritual gift of fault finding? Right? Yes, we all do. Remember the Muppet guys—the two old guys who would sit up in the corner. Remember them? Something happened with our pictures. Everybody, give Brenna a hand. Brenna's first time back there today. Um. So she needs some assistance back there. Here we go. We got, well, there they are. All right. And before I go any further, aside from criticism, I want to give some encouragement today. Moving, we have moved, I don't know how many times we moved, park here, park there, wherever. But we've been back here. This is our second week. The screen's back this week. That's a blessing for us. But with that goes a whole lot of different technical things that we're not used to and we're re-engaging. Um, Brad lost what Harry had left on his head today. It is gone. Uh, but we've got what I believe our ace crew, our worship team today, two of our main guys and Emily and uh, bass player, those of you guys that love him. It's fantastic to have them all here. That being said... If I were to be critical, I could be critical. (laughs) But we all face it, right? How do we deal with those who are overly critical? Maybe you have a boss that you never really hear anything from until you do something wrong. Or as an adult, you have a mom or a dad that always criticizes everything you do. The way you raise your kids... Maybe the way you spend your money, the fact that you attend church, they find ways to criticize you in every area. Or maybe you have a spouse that's critical, critical of the way you look, critical of the way you talk, critical of the way you walk, critical of the way you chew gum, critical of the way you load the dishwasher or don't load the dishwasher, critical that you leave your underwear on the floor, can't believe you would do that. But maybe you have an overly critical spouse. How do you deal with those kind of issues? I'm just curious. How many of you have ever heard anyone criticize our church? Raise your hand. Raise it higher. All right, about 80%. I can't believe that. Really? Yeah, it's true. It's going to happen. That's the way it is. We criticize the pastor because he's too demanding. Always asking us to serve like Jesus. Always asking us to be in worship. The the pastor doesn't talk enough about fill in your favorite subject. The pastor talks too much about fill in your least favorite subject. We're too focused on the unchurch. The teaching is shallow. I'm not being fed. Worship is too long. Worship is too short. On and on and on and on, right? But if you and I are going to do anything in life, if we are going to be any in any kind of relationship, people are gonna criticize. I love the quote that's attributed to Albert Hubbard, who said this: To avoid criticism, do nothing, say nothing, and be nothing. Do nothing, say nothing, and be nothing. I don't want to criticize that quote, but if you do nothing, be nothing, or say nothing, someone's going to criticize you for being a lazy bum, right? So we're stuck with that. If you're alive, you're going to deal with criticism, especially if you're a follower of Jesus. Because as followers of Jesus, we live contrary to the ways of this world. And so if we're living for Jesus, the world is going to criticize us for our beliefs and our stance and the way that we live. So I want to give you four thoughts on this relationship vampire that hopefully will help us on responding to critical people. Here's number one, if you're taking notes on your outline. Number one, often you don't respond. You don't respond. Just because someone criticizes you does not obligate you to respond to them. If you get this one, it can be freeing to you. This was Jesus' line of offense. 1 Peter 2.23 says this about him. Peter says, when they hurled insults at Jesus, insults at Jesus, what kind? Well, they would say he was a friend of sinners. By the way, that's not a compliment. They would say that he was a drunk. He ate too much. He partied way too hard. They said he was a lunatic. They said he was a false god. On and on they criticized him. And think about it. If they criticize Jesus, who was perfect, do you and I stand a chance? No. They're going to criticize us. Here's what Peter wrote <clears throat> about Jesus. He did not retaliate when he suffered He made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. Nothing he did to retaliate. Nothing that he did to defend himself. And so how do you respond? Sometimes you don't. And that can be freeing. Just because they have access to you does not mean it demands a response from you. I love Proverbs 19.11 says so a person's wisdom gives him patience. It's to his glory or to one's glory to do what? You, you there. It's to one's glory to overlook, an overlook. What's that mean? What does it mean to overlook an offense? Well, it's not just the same thing as pretending it didn't happen. Overlook an offense comes from two Hebrew terms, to pass over or to get over it. To overlook an offense is a form of forgiveness that's not forgiving in the past tense. It's forgiving in real time. It's saying, I'm choosing, I could get angry, I could get bitter in my heart, I could get really upset with you, but because I I am called to something above that, I am choosing to rise above it in this very moment. I'm not going to wait three months and be upset about it and, and get over it later on. I'm choosing right now because I am called by God to a higher purpose to not let that make my heart bitter. Sometimes you don't respond. Second, sometimes you respond carefully. Notice I didn't say you react instinctively. Reacting is an emotion when we respond We respond in the spirit, being spirit-led. There's a powerful example of this in the Old Testament when a guy named Gideon was taking some heat from some people who didn't like what he was doing. Judges 8, 1 and 2 says, the Ephraimites asked Gideon, why have you treated us like this? Why didn't you call us when you went to fight Midian? And it says, they challenged him vigorously. Another version says they criticized him sharply, but he didn't defend himself. He didn't fight back. He didn't say that's not fair. He simply responded, as Scripture says, and gave an answer, gave a very clear, spirit-led answer. He says, you guys don't understand. We're all about the work of the harvest. God brought us some grapes. We went to get grapes, and it was all actually a very good thing. He brought a response to them, a clear response that was spirit-led. Then verse 3 says this, When the men of Ephraim heard Gideon's answer, their anger subsided. It subsided. Sometimes when we give a real answer To a critic, especially a spirit-led answer, just like Gideon, they begin to understand and their anger is suppressed. So when some people do something, and they will, to criticize us, such things as they'll say, well, why in the world are you going back to school? Why in the world would you ever go into full-time ministry? Come on. That's stupid. You ought to go into business. Why do you serve all those hours at the church? Why do you even go there? Wait, you're going to be a stay-at-home mom with all that talent you have? Or you're going to go to work when you should be at home with your kids? You can't win on that one, right? So what are we going to do to get past that? Sometimes we give an explanation because it makes sense. And just like Gideon their anger will subside. But what happens when a friend unleashes on you with harsh criticism? A coworker picks you apart. You didn't do this. You didn't do that. Your parents keep riding you and riding you and riding you. Here's a key. Wait before you respond. It's huge. Wait before you respond. When emotions are high, wisdom is low. When emotions are high, wisdom is low. That means when you type it out, wait before you hit send. How many of you ever hit send on a text or an email and wish you could get it back? Yeah. Take a deep breath. When emotions are high, wisdom is low. And I want you to remember something. Oftentimes, criticism isn't about you. It isn't about me. Oftentimes, criticism is born out of a hurt in the other person's life. Oftentimes, they criticize because there's something that has deeply wounded them. There's something maybe about themselves that they don't like, and therefore, they will take out the criticism on you. Pastor Dennis Fulton told about a dog that he deeply loved for years. One day, tragically, that dog was hit by a car out by the road and wounded. Dennis says, the dog, my dog was screaming for help. He said, I was just a little boy, and I was heart sick. I ran out to the side of the road and reached down to pick up my dog, and my dog bit me. He says, my dog bit me. I raced inside, crushed, that my own dog would bite me. He said, I didn't understand that when I was young. But years later, I realized that my dog bit me because he was hurting so badly. Sometimes, people lash out at us with criticism because they're hurting themselves badly on the inside. Instead of feeling defensive. We need sometimes to have compassion, to try to love them through their hurt, understanding where they are and how wounded they are. So how do you respond when people are critical? One, oftentimes we don't respond. Sometimes we respond carefully. Thirdly, occasionally you listen and you make a change. Sometimes people are hard on you and they're right. They need to be hard on you. Because you're not changing. Get this. If everyone tells you you have a problem, you might have a problem. Right? If everyone's telling you there's something you need to adjust in your life, there might be something you need to adjust in your life. If your wife keeps telling you you yell at the kids too much, Maybe you're yelling at the kids too much. If every one of your friends, your mom, your dad, your father, your mom, your dad, your teacher, if they all tell you you're dating the devil, maybe you ought to cast that demon aside and wait for a man of God, right? Sometimes they're right. Sometimes they're speaking the truth. And we have something to learn. Proverbs 15 says, If you listen to constructive criticism, you'll be at home among the wise. If you don't, if you always reject discipline, you will only harm yourself. You can learn from anybody if you have a receptive heart. There's something to learn. I have grown so much over the years because of constructive criticism. I remember years ago, I had a ministry assistant, and each Monday when I would come back into the office, I would give her permission to speak into meeting as to what I messed up on Sunday during the message, how it went. I was wide open. One thing she would always say is, Jeff, you talked way too fast. You need to slow down. Every Monday, I'd hear the same thing. You talked way too fast again. need to slow down. And so because of that, if you were to see my notes, I have slashes. I'll oftentimes put stop in red. I'll put slow down, take a breath, take a drink. Hmm? All because of her on the Monday morning criticism corner that I allowed her to have. People who have not liked me have criticized me. And I have still learned from them. I have learned how to be a better dad, a better husband, a better pastor, a better leader. If in the last year, there haven't been two or three things that you've changed in your life because you have listened to constructive criticism, guess what? You are passing up opportunities to grow. You're missing it. One more. Number four, you always work hard to guard your heart. You always work hard to guard your heart. Why? Because we don't want to become those two old guys sitting up in the corner, those Muppet guys. We don't want to become the critic, do we? Who's the greatest critic of all? Satan himself. Satan himself. He has the critical spirit. Satan is called the accuser, the father of lies. And we don't want our spirit to become his spirit. Proverbs 12:18 tells us some people some people make cutting remarks but the words of the wise bring healing. I don't want my words my heart to be life taking from people. I want my words my actions to be life giving to people through Jesus Christ. That's my desire. I'm going to ask you to get your cell phone out for a minute. Some of you already have it looking at the scriptures. Get your cell phone out just for a minute, and I want you to text somebody. Go ahead. Text somebody some life-giving words, just two or three words. I love you. I appreciate you. I'm praying for you. Go ahead and do that right now. Just text somebody. Did this last week, this message, I preached this message in Wadsworth last week. And after one of the services, one of the guys came up to me and he said, I text my wife that I said, I love you, honey. And she texts back, true story, she texts back, please pay off all my credit cards. (laughs) But even text somebody that maybe has been critical of you lately. So how do we overcome the spirit of criticism? Let me give you one huge key. Bottom line, because some of us are held back from doing what God has chosen for us to do in life because we are so overreactive to what other people think. Here's the key. Make sure you are firmly grounded in who you are in Jesus Christ. Make sure you are rock solid in who you are in Christ. And I gave you a little reading that you can work through with a bunch of scriptures on the back of your outline if you didn't get one pick one up on the way out but here's what you should be saying about yourself i am called of god i am chosen i am the apple of my father's eye i am being changed into his image i am a new creation i am the temple of the holy spirit i am forgiven of all my sins i am redeemed from the curse of the law i am blessed I am above and not beneath. I am elect. I am victorious. I am one in Christ. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am set free. Say it with me. I am set free. One more time. I am set free. And nothing, nothing else will do than that firm foundation in Jesus. Reflect on these words and that thought. Nothing else will do As you listen to Greg's song, just remain seated and listen.
1: Caught up in this hole to where we started I open up my so Just want to sit here at your feet. I'm caught up in this hole.
0: I believe there's something that we all need to do when it comes to getting over and past those who criticize us, but I also believe it's something that all of us need after the past two years that we've been through. And it's simply this. Clarify your calling. Clarify your calling. This means that you're able to say, I am confident of who I am in Christ, and I'm confident of what I'm called to do in Christ, that nothing and no criticism will derail me. I can overlook criticism. I can overlook pressure because I have a higher calling I am approved by God, so your approval, your disapproval will never derail me because I am after what God has called me to do. Some of you need this. I need this. We get so wrapped up into what everyone else thinks. You cannot please God and seek the approval of people They go against each other. When you serve God, there are people who are going to be critical of you. The more you do, the more people are not going to like you. It's part of it. You want to make a difference with the one and only life that God's given you, then you've got to rise above criticism and not let it go to your heart. Probably for every critic, there are a dozen encouragers. For every disappointment, there are hundreds of victories. But more importantly, you remember your calling is to do the will of God regardless. There's a book, April 1865, The Month That Saved America is the title of it. And it's a lot about Abraham Lincoln. It shares that Abraham Lincoln was the, criti- was the victim of a lot of criticism. After he became president, his own Secretary of War, William Stanton, called him the original baboon. People criticized him for being a third rate lawyer, clumsy, a giraffe because he was six foot four, and they even called him a hick. He had a rough presidency, yet he persevered in spite of all the criticism. At the end, he was a hero because he freed the slaves. When he died, William Stanton said this. The one who called him the original baboon with tears in his eyes said this. There lies the greatest leader of men this world has ever seen. In this book, Jay Winnick asks, how is it, how is it that Lincoln could persevere through that kind of criticism? I want to read this in closing. It's often said that Lincoln was not religious. But there seems to be little doubt about it. As the war progressed, he became deeply moved by faith. In watching Lincoln evolve, one leaves with a sense that he came to feel that he had somehow been elected president in the eye of this terrible war for God's own design. There is a divinity that shapes our ends, he told one congressman in 1862. The will of God prevails, he later declared. And perhaps more crucially, he increasingly saw himself as an instrument of providence, saying, I am satisfied when the Almighty wants me to do a particular thing. He finds a way of letting me know it. Amid the scourge of conflict, this provided some of the lubricant for presidential leadership. And here's the final sentence. In waiting for providential guidance at the critical points of the war, for perhaps the first time in his life, he felt not the familiar drumbeat of ambition or political satisfaction, but of destiny. And when that happened, he was a rock. When your goal in life is to be fully devoted to Jesus Christ and do everything in your life to please and honor him. No matter what happens, you will be a rock. You will be a rock. 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty eight. Paul writes this. Stand with me as I read this. Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain.